welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. If you'd like to connect with us or browse resources, please go to kingroad.ca and click New Here. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. For today's sermon... Uh, normally I preach through one passage. I'll take like, like last week was just John 3.16 and unpack that verse and show how Jesus, uh, his incarnation uh, brought us his love. And uh, yeah, we went, we went through just one verse last week. But this week what we're going to do is we're kind of going to look at three different passages. Or one from the Gospel of Mark and Luke and then one from the Gospel of Matthew. So um, three little kind of, uh, I guess, vignettes of Jesus's ministry. And I want to pull out, pull something out of it. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to show a clip from an old Christmas special. And you're going to kind of, some of you might be like, why is he showing this so weird? But I promise there's something I, I want to pull out of it that we're going to explain. So here's the, the clip. of the island of misfit toys a jack-in-the-box or a sentry yes my name is don't tell me jack no charlie that's why i'm a misfit toy my name is all wrong no child wants to play with a charlie in the box so i had to come here where's here Island of unwanted toys, we'll miss all the fun. 
I told you it's kind of weird. <laughs> but the reason I showed that is I think all of us can at least somewhat relate to how those toys uh, describe themselves. I think all of us at different points in our lives have somewhat felt like misfits. I think there's, we've all gone through times where we've been rejected or we've been mocked or we've been judged harshly, and we end up feeling like those toys. We end up feeling like misfits, like we don't belong with everybody else, so we're, we're off on our own, or, or we're somewhere where, yeah, we are just kind of outcast on the outside. But ultimately, in wanting to be delivered to a home, what does each of these toys want? They just want to be loved and accepted. Because when people leave us out, and reject us, like we all want to be loved and accepted, because when people leave us out and reject us, or like shun us for some reason, it ends up making us feel shame. We felt shame for things that are out of our control, and we've also felt shame for things that we've done that were completely in our control. Or maybe we just felt like we're outsiders because we're newcomers and we don't know anybody, so we're literally strangers and it's hard to adapt, it's hard to get involved. People ignore you, people don't want to pull you into their circles because, well, you're new, you're different. And then that shame makes the community that other people access seem inaccessible. But then in steps Jesus showing love and mercy and grace to the shamed and to the outcasts. Jesus, God in the flesh, steps into his own creation, into a place where shame and loneliness are common, and he comes to us to free us of that shame and to show us his love and his grace. And instead of pushing us out and saying, go away, he says, come to me. Come to me. Having access to God was not possible for people as sinful and as shameful as we are. But Jesus being born in a manger and living fully as a human being, being born of a virgin, then growing up, becoming a man, living, dying, rising again, has changed that. Now for those of us who, are, who have put our trust in him, who are found in Christ, God is accessible. In Christ, there are no more misfits. So like I said, we're going to look at three different passages from Jesus' ministry and see how accessible he was to the people around him, particularly the social outcasts. So the big idea for today is the incarnation of Jesus Christ has made the inaccessible accessible. So point number one, accessible to the shamed Number two, accessible to the shameful. And number three, accessible to the stranger. Okay, so the first one, accessible to the shamed. We're going to be spending time in Mark chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Mark chapter 5, starting verse 24. 
I think one of the most remarkable things about Jesus' ministry is how accessible he was to those who were outcasts and to those who had been shunned and who didn't feel like they were part of the community anymore. Those who were struggling through no fault of their own yet were shamed by society. So we're going to see one of those situations here in Mark chapter 5. Starting in verse 24, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So that's, like, he's being crowded, he's being pushed in upon. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? Like, maybe maybe Disneyland on one of the busiest days of the year, and you're trying to get through this narrow area, and it's just, like, people shoulder to shoulder. Like, this is the kind of crowd that's coming around Jesus, except they're not going somewhere else. They're coming to him. So he's feeling this crowd around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This poor woman's situation was dire. She had an illness that was causing her to bleed as though she was constantly menstruating. So, ladies, um, you know what it's like to have a few days, right? You know the, the, the pain and the, the, the you, know, you know more than I do about it. Okay? I'll just say that. But you know what that's like for just a short period of time. Can you imagine having that being nonstop for 12 years? You imagine the physical pain that, that comes with that, being a regular thing for her for 12 years. But then not only the physical pain, also socially. She was an outcast. According to Jewish law, she was unclean, so she couldn't go worship. If, a, if another Jew was to come near her or touch her or spend time with her, that Jew would then also be ceremonially unclean, couldn't go worship. So then lots of the Jewish people, her community, her family, wouldn't want to be around her because, well, that was just too inconvenient. So she's got physical pain, she's got social pain. No doctor could help her, although they sure like taking her money. So now she had nothing left. She was in pain, she was abandoned. She was shamed by the culture. And she was without hope. Continuing verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So imagine being her. You're just trying to survive. You're just trying to get by day after day and your situation's growing worse. You have no more money. You're shunned. Life isn't going well at all. Maybe even being near death considering how bad the situation was getting. And then you hear about this, this man that everybody's excited about because he's healing people. And people are calling him rabbi. They're calling him a prophet. But she knows what it means to go near one of them. They don't want her to come nearby because she's unclean. So she can't just boldly go up to him and go, hey, 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 help me. She doesn't think. So she just comes quietly up behind him and gets down low, tries to get in between the people so nobody realizes who's there, that, that it's her. And she gets low enough just to touch the edge of his garment, just, just a little touch. 
because she believes that will make her well. And what happens? Verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Okay? So, so, so you're, you, go to, you go to Jesus in fear and trepidation. Hope, the, oh, this is your last hope. And it proves to be true. And you're healed instantly. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to just leap for joy and shout? And, but she's still scared. But she's utter astonishment would have been coming over her. And overwhelming peace and internal joy. But verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? So Jesus feels his healing power go out from him. And so he just, he immediately stops, and he just starts looking around. It says he's turning about, which means he's kind of looking around, up and down. Who did that? What? What just happened here? And then he, so he says that. Who touched me? And the disciples are, are like, um, Jesus, like everybody? Like, like everybody. Jesus, like. But he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. Remember, she's thinking that, well, whoever she touches becomes unclean, Right? So even if she touches just the hem of his garment, he's going to be now unclean, she thinks. So she comes in fear and trembling and falls down before him and told him the whole truth. She was still fearful because of all that she had endured, all the shame, all the ostracization, all the pain, but she was honest and approached him, not knowing what his response would be. Would he be like the other rabbis? And say, how dare you come near me and make me unclean? Do you know what you've done? Would he report her to the authorities and say that she's broken the law today? But verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See how accessible Jesus is? To somebody who, who is not used to access to anything, all of a sudden Jesus is fully accessible, calling her this tender name of care. A tender name, like, she wouldn't have been called for probably years before that. And here he is calling her daughter, showing his absolute love and affection and grace and acceptance of her. He understood her plight. He sees her. He knows her. And then he commends her for her faith and sends her in peace. So in Jesus, God had become accessible to the shamed and he still is. So have you been mocked or shamed or shunned by others because of cultural differences 
Maybe physical differences. Maybe an illness. Maybe a speech impediment. Or bad acne. Jesus understands. When Jesus would go to the cross, he would endure shame and mockery and rejection unlike anything that we have experienced. So he knows. He knows. And you can go to him. And you can go to him and he will call you daughter or son or child or friend. Jesus' incarnation has made God accessible to you. Point number two, accessible to the shameful. So we've seen Jesus be tender and gracious and accepting to people who have been shamed through no fault of their own. But what about people who have done things that are shameful? People who have been shamed because of their actions and have rightly deserved the judgment that came to them. Well, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Starting in verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So if you are the original audience hearing this or reading this for the first time, like, like Luke has written this and given it to believers and you're getting together, you're reading this, this account of Jesus' life and you see this, you would be like, ew, a chief tax collector who's also rich? He's the lowest of the low. This is like the total scumbag of the community. No one wants to be around this guy. Like, for somebody to be a tax collector, he's not just somebody like in Canada here who works for Canada Revenue Agency and you're kind of scared that he's going to audit you and find something wrong. It's, not, it's much worse. A tax collector in that time was somebody who was a local, so he would have been Jewish, and he was hired by the Roman government to collect the Roman taxes, which are already exorbitant. But he couldn't take his own salary out of that. So he had to charge a surplus, more money on top of that. So the fact that he was rich, he had been ripping people off. Big time. He, and so, so think about it. He's, he's a, a fellow Jew who is working for the Romans. That makes it bad enough. You're working for the oppressors, buddy. What makes you think that I want to be near you? And now you're rich on top of that? he would have definitely been outcast by the community as much as they could. What do we see Zacchaeus do here? So verse 3, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You see, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. 
Sycamore fig trees actually are very common in Israel, in that part of Israel. It says they're around Jericho. Uh, if you look it up online, uh, you can actually look up what these trees look like. And they're, they have, they're kind of big bases, like their trunks are big, but their branches start going out very low. So easily, easy, very climbable, put it that way. So continuing verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, what did he say? Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Right? If you didn't grow up in Sunday school... That is a song that you would learn, would have learned there. Um, so Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Jesus comes. He sees him. And he says, I'm coming to your house today. He says, um, he's, but he doesn't just say, I'm coming, I'm going to your house today. He says, I must stay at your house today. So as much as Zacchaeus was looking to see Jesus, Jesus was more coming him way, his way to find him. He thought he was seeking out Jesus, but in fact, it was Jesus who was seeking him. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. So the rest of the crowd, right? Those who hate Zacchaeus, they're grumbling. He has, and they say about Jesus, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Do you see the attitude? Like they hate Zacchaeus. How dare Jesus go in and be with such a man? Such a traitor, such a thief. You see, they would have thought that he deserved no such treatment from Jesus. And he didn't. He didn't deserve grace. He was a traitor. He was a thief. And yet Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. He shows him grace, probably like he had never received before. And so he's excited about this. He's like, this prophet, this healer, this teacher that I've heard so much about wants to see me? So he rushes down and, and he goes to his house and he shows great hospitality to Jesus. And Zacchaeus, in verse, uh, verse 8, continue verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus pursued Zacchaeus and went to stay at his house. And Zacchaeus' response out of joy and thanksgiving is to repent of his sins and look to make amends with those that he had wronged. And not just pay back what he took, but he's going above and beyond. He is showing a true heart of repentance and Jesus declares salvation has come. To his house today. See, Zacchaeus was a man who had done incredibly shameful things. He worked for the regime that was oppressing the people, and in so doing, used his position to extort money from his fellow countrymen in order to get rich, and probably wasn't too shy for using a little of that Roman muscle when he needed to. You know, they weren't really paying up, and he's like, you know, I'm going to get this centurion over here. He's going to come talk to you. Those, that kind of thing wouldn't have been uncommon for a tax collector. 
And because of that, he received well-deserved public shaming from his people. And yet Jesus still sought him out, pursued him, and saved him. I don't know what kind of sins are the things that you look back on your life and, and you look at things and you're like, yeah, that thing. And, and then you, you think about that thing and you think about that, man, if I was public about that, yeah, people would want to treat me like they treated Zacchaeus. People probably wouldn't want to shake my hand anymore. And maybe some of you have even gone through things where, where that has happened. People have found out something, some sin that you've done, and, and they have ostracized you, and they have pushed you on the outside. Maybe you were shunned by your family and your church. I know people uh, who sinned years ago in a public way, and it destroyed their marriages, it destroyed their families. And, and they, they actually avoided, they avoided church, they hated going out in public, uh, they hated going to the grocery store. And, and going to church still, they, they finally have come to a place where they, they've realized Christ's forgiveness for them. They realize that they can now go to church and worship and, and they can know that they have been forgiven and freed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so they do, they go to church, they worship. But even now, this is like 20-some years later, and they still get the stink eye from people. They long ago confessed and repented and sought forgiveness. They've, they've received the forgiveness from their family and friends. And yet there's still people, people who treat them that way. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus pursues those who have rebelled against him those who have sinned grievously in massive ways. Think of biblical examples. You think of David in the Old Testament who committed adultery with another man's wife and then killed that man so that he wouldn't have to deal with the ramifications of it and then married her. And God sought him out in his sin, brought him to a place of repentance, forgave him. You think about in the, in the New Testament, you think of the Apostle Paul who was persecuting and seeing Christians be uh, arrested and stoned to death. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen. And Jesus pursued him, he called him and forgave him. So whatever it is that you still feel in your heart that, that, that oh, God can't forgive me of that, you're wrong. Jesus is calling you to come to him, confess, make restoration where needed. And that's hard. But he's calling you to come to him, confess, be forgiven, and make restoration where necessary. The fact is that through Jesus, God has become accessible to the shameful. 
And lastly, Jesus has also made a way to God's throne, or made the way to God's throne accessible to the stranger. So in the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself almost exclusively to one family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Outsiders didn't have the same access to God that the Jews had. Even think about the temple complex. If you've ever looked at a, at a diagram of what the temple was like, you had the, the building itself, which had the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. Only one priest could go in there one time a year after going through a whole bunch of ceremonial or, yeah, like rituals that would cleanse him. Then outside of that, other priests could go into. And then outside of that was where the Jews could come and bring their offerings. And outside of that was the court of women. And then outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. So every Jew, no matter, no matter who you are, what you had done, every Jew had the ability to get closer to God's presence than any Gentile. In the Old Testament law, God demanded that the Israelites be kind to the Gentiles in various ways, but access to God for them was very different than for descendants of Abraham. But as we saw Jesus change the accessibility for the shamed and for the shameful, he also changed it for the Gentiles. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So right here we see it. We see this Gentile pagan centurion, probably not native to the area, probably an import from some other part of the Roman Empire. They're working for Caesar, for the Roman Empire, for the oppressive regime. So he's not somebody who would go to temple and worship he is not somebody, he probably had other areas where he would go and worship. Other gods even. But he hears about Jesus, and he hears about the miracles that he's doing, and he hears about who he is, and so he, he goes, this is the guy to go talk to. And so he approaches Jesus on behalf of his servant. And he says to him, I will come, and, and Jesus says to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion, the centurion understands the difference here. He understands the difference between who he is and who Jesus is. Because he says, he replies, The Lord, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. So he approaches Jesus, but he shows that, like, I know, I know who I am, Jesus. I know I'm a Gentile. I know I'm not worthy to come this close to you, to even approach you like this, let alone have you come to my house. I know I'm not worthy. But he shows faith in that he says, you just speak the word and it'll happen. He sees, he sees the power that Jesus has. He, he has an understanding of who Jesus is that nobody until this point had shown. Incredible faith. Then he continues, he says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion knows what authority is. He knows what it means to have authority. That he could command the people that are under him to go do certain things, and they have to do it. 
And he, so he's looking at the illness that his servant is dealing with. And he says, Jesus, I, I realize that you have authority even over something like an illness. That all you have to do, the way I command my servants to go do this, you can tell this illness to do whatever you want it to do. And even though you're not near my servant, you want him to be healed, you can tell my servant to be healed. And he will be. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now that's an interesting statement. With no one else in all of Israel. Because he's done all his ministry within Israel, right? From, from Whether it's from... Uh, where he grew up in Galilee or going down to Jerusalem or the outlying areas around the Jordan River, he knew that he was dealing primarily with Israelites. But he says, in all of Israel, I haven't found faith like this. So the people that should have been expecting the Messiah to come, the people who had God's word telling them about who this Messiah would be, all of the precursors, the things to look for in the Messiah, what he would be like, They had all of that, and yet they didn't show the same faith as the man who was a Gentile. And look how Jesus closes this section. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling everyone around, and there would have been many people around at this point, He was telling everybody around them that there were going to be Gentiles coming and they were going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this would have been a shocking statement. Again, the people around are going, no, like Jesus, if if he is the person, the Messiah who's to come, he's going to take over and Israel is going to reign and rule over all other nations. The Romans are going to be cast out. We are going to have victory over all the Gentiles. But he says, no, the the Gentiles are actually going to come in and and be in heaven. And he continues, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, a shocking statement, right? Gentiles, they'd be like, Jesus, you're telling me Gentile strangers who aren't descendants of Abraham are going to get into heaven and some of us aren't? What are you smoking, Jesus? Jesus. Right? This, uh, this, this is the, they would have thought he's crazy. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus knows that it's by faith that we make it into God's kingdom. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The greatest faith that Jesus sees during his ministry up to this point is a pagan centurion. Later on in his ministry, he goes up into a different region, the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is also a a Gentile region. And he sees, there's a lady, a Gentile lady who's coming to him, and he actually says, I haven't come for you, I've come for the Jews. And she begs him and implores him and says, even the dogs receive crumbs from the master's table. And again, he marvels at her faith. Incredible faith, again, from a Gentile. And then after Jesus dies, after he's on the cross and he dies, and he's hanging there still, 
The first person to acknowledge who he is is another Gentile centurion who says, surely this man was the son of God. These Roman centurions were strangers to the Jews, strangers to the faith, and in most cases, far away from the home that they knew. But Jesus was accessible to them and let them know that through him, God also was accessible to them. And now, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God is more accessible to all peoples than ever. I'll highlight two ways. First, uh, in worship. There's no longer the need to go to Jerusalem and go to the temple and bring your sacrifices and see a certain man at a certain time in order to worship God. To bring sacrifices for your sins. The sacrifice has been made. The final perfect sacrifice has been made by Jesus Christ. That now anyone who puts their faith in him, like we talked about last week, how, how in the Old Testament the serpent was raised up and anyone who would look to that risen serpent on the pole would be saved in the wilderness. Now anyone in the world that looks up to Jesus, lifted on the cross, for their salvation will be saved. So now in Christ we can worship him anywhere and anytime. We don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to bring sacrifices We can pray directly to the Father. We don't need a priest. In fact, in the New Testament, the the people of God are called the priesthood of all believers. Therefore, we can minister to each other. If, If we're struggling, we don't have to go find a priest. We can go to another believer and talk about what's happening. And other believers can come around and we can pray for each other. Pray for healing. We can we can bring the the necessary needs to whatever person that is priesthood of all believers. We can pray directly to the Father, approaching him freely because of Christ. You see, as the incarnate Son's flesh was torn on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. As he died, the curtain was torn in two, providing access into the Holy of Holies. Imagine being the priests in the temple that day, and all of a sudden the curtain's torn. You thought you were going to die, Right? Because if you didn't go, if you weren't cleansed properly going into that presence, it was surely your end. And all of a sudden, God's presence, the Holy of Holies, was opened up for anybody through Jesus Christ. So the first thing is worship. The second way that God is accessible to us now is that we have the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples that it's better for him to go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come and be with us. Because with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, it's not we're not represent or we're not um, required, or the, the best thing that we can do is actually deal with the Holy Spirit who's with us. We don't have to go somewhere else and find the incarnate Jesus in, a, in another town or another city or another country. The Holy Spirit himself dwells with us. And he convicts us of our sin. He prompts us to speak about Jesus. He gives us gifts to worship God and to serve each other. The Holy Spirit is with us. God is accessible now because of the incarnation of Christ in many ways that he wasn't before. 
So I don't know where you are today, where you're at. Maybe you're feeling shame because of something that, that culture has placed on you and, and you've been pushed out because of whatever differences that could be. Or maybe you're feeling shame because of something that you've done and you still, you still even though we've gone through this and, and you've, you've seen that you have access to Jesus, you're still feeling that shame like you don't have that access. Or maybe you're a stranger who just feels like an outsider for whatever reason. To all of you, Jesus says, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus can give you rest. He can give you freedom from that shame. He can give you freedom from any guilt. In his family, you don't need to be a stranger. Confess your sins and go to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your goodness, your love, your mercy. I thank you for your word that we can see how Jesus dealt with the people of his day, how he dealt with the outcasts, the, the shamed, the ill. Lord, we, we didn't even talk about the lepers um, that he dealt with, that he went and saw the lepers and he would touch them even though they were untouchable. They thought they would make him unclean, but instead he made them clean. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that by your incarnation, you proved yourself to be accessible to sinful people like us. So by your Holy Spirit, I pray you convict us this morning of our sin. Cause us to, to fall on our knees in confession and repentance to you. Lord, lead us to seek restoration where we need to. So I pray for us, Lord, as we continue to worship you as we're in this Christmas season, Lord, for those who feel like misfits in our society, would you show them your grace? Would they find a home in your church? So Lord bless us. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us on social media at King Road Church. Have a great week.